privilege to be able to be here today and share the Word of God uh, with you. I really believe that the power, uh, the Bible has power to transform and heal and set free and save. And I'm just going to start. Like, it doesn't matter that we're giving our offering as I'm preaching. It doesn't matter, does it? It's all part of the act of uh, worship. Let me just introduce myself a bit. Uh, in case you don't know me, my name's Claire, as you probably gathered. I'm, uh, I'm part of the team here at Riverside. I've been here at Riverside since October. Prior to that, I was uh, ministering in Western Supermare for 11 and a bit years. I'm, I'm an Assemblies of God pastor by training. Uh, currently, I'm also working with the homeless here in Exeter through a charity called St. Petrox uh, in the city centre. Um, a little bit about me, let's think. My guilty pleasures are Strictly Come Dancing and the Great British Bake Off. I love those programs. I've got twin brothers who are two years younger than me, so my mum had three of us in nappies when we were growing up all at the same time, so that she deserves a round of applause just for that, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And uh, currently, I'm waiting on my visas to get into America. Uh, so please do pray for that. I'm hoping to move to Minnesota to work as an outreach pastor with a church called River Valley Church over there. And uh, the process is taking forever, but in my timing, but in God's timing, it's completely perfect, right? And you know what? If it doesn't happen, and if it never happens, I'm totally cool with that as well, because God is the Lord of my life. And he will have me where he wants me to be. And uh, I just seek to follow him as best as I can. Don't always get it right, but I try, right? We try. But we are in a really blessed uh, series, aren't we, at the moment, on finding freedom. And I hope that you're really finding this such a helpful series. Because Jesus didn't just die to give us our salvation. He died so that we would be set free from all that which binds us. And so our vision as a church is helping people find God and follow Jesus. That is what we are about. And over the course of 12 months, we are looking at how that is possible through four key areas. Knowing God, finding freedom, then we're coming up to discovering purpose. I'm really excited about that one. And making a difference. Also exciting, right? So that's where we're going. And so far in our freedom series, we've learned what does it mean to have freedom in Jesus? You know, how can we live free? And Hannah kicked us off amazingly in our series. And we've also particularly focused on shame, freedom from shame, and freedom from fear. And I'd really encourage you to listen to Gareth and to Josh's messages. They're on the website. If you've missed those, please listen to them. They did an amazing job, but not just because they did an amazing job. They were preaching the Word of God. And the Word of God has the power to set us free. But the title of my message today is Free to Serve Extravagantly. Free to serve extravagantly. We are not set free through the cross of Christ just for our own good or for our own benefit. We are set free to serve God and to serve those around us. That is what it means to be a Christ follower. And Timothy Keller is an amazing biblical scholar and he says this, God never calls us in to love and to change us without then sending us out to reach and serve others. We are blessed to bless. A key verse to underpin our message here today is Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to know what it means to live the Christian life, this is it. 
We so often freak out, don't we? And we worry that we're going to miss the will of God in our lives. And should we go over here or should we go over there? But if we're loving God and if we're loving others, we are actually not going to go far wrong, right? Sometimes we feel under pressure as Christ followers to get on exactly the right path, the will of God for us. And, you know, I'm going through that process now. I'm like, well, I believe it's over here, God. But the reality is, if I keep loving God and if I keep serving others, he will guide me in the paths that I should go. There are many barriers, though, to us living this way, living with God and others as a priority, to us living the life of extravagant service. Today, I'm just going to look at what is extravagant service because I believe it's important we know what we're aiming for, right? We need to know what we're aiming at if we're going to get there. And then I'm going to look at two barriers that we need to be set free from in order to live this life of extravagant service. So firstly, what is extravagant service? I've got lots of bit of paper today. Here we go. Extravagant service is not complicated. It looks like Jesus, right? I could probably just sit down now and that would be enough. Yeah, extravagant service looks like Jesus. Matthew 20 verse 28 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Matthew 28 verse 20 verse 28. Extravagant service looks like Jesus washing his disciples' feet. It looks like Jesus reaching out and touching the leper and the prostitute. It looks like Jesus hanging on the cross willingly out of love for us. To serve extravagantly means that we love others, whoever they might be, not just people that look like us. It means that we help those who are in need and in want in a way that costs us something. It means, like Josh said last week, that we do battle with the dark places, with the light of Jesus that we carry. A life of extravagant service looks like picking up our crosses and carrying them, and that means sacrifice. It looks like saying yes to the call of God on our lives, no matter what we have to give up in the process. It looks like sharing in other people's burdens, Not carrying them like Hannah so eloquently preached because that is God's job. But it's walking alongside, encouraging and praying for others. It looks like reaching out to those who are in the highways and the byways, the unloved and the unlovely. It looks like loving those who are challenging to love, the homeless, the addicted, those who are from other religious backgrounds with different sexual orientations, young people who do everything in their power to push you away from them because they're so broken inside, old people, isolated and lonely and forgotten, the abused, the abused, the bereaved and the sick. That's what extravagant service looks like. It looks like honoring your brothers and sisters in the household of faith before yourself. Yes? Putting their needs, the needs of that person sat next to you today before your own. It looks like praying and truly praying. It looks like supporting and truly supporting. It looks like encouraging others. When we were in the prayer meeting this morning, Aaron said this verse, and I'd already had it in my notes for today. So Jesus is saying something right. Galatians 5, verse 13 to 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You can't really get any clearer than that, can you? That we are set free to serve extravagantly in love. But so often when we hear the service sermons, we think, oh man, here we go again. It's another service sermon. I'm going to feel guilty about it. I'm going to go out of this place today and I'm going to have to do something I don't want to do. And I'm going to do it because Claire told me to do it. I call it service with a sigh. That's what I call that. I've had many people in my ministry who are serving with a sigh. (sighs) Like it's just like the hardest, most difficult, most burdensome thing in their life to be serving the King of Kings and the Lords of Lords. That's not how it should be, right? This isn't about a guilt complex. 1 John 5 verse 3 says, This is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. They are not burdensome. We don't serve because we're told we should. We should want to serve. We should want to serve because we've been set free. We've been set free. We are loved and we are washed clean as we've been singing this morning by the blood of the Lamb. What a great song. Do you know what? I was watching, where's Joel? There he is. I was watching Joel drumming there this morning. And I love watching the drummers in worship because, you know, when they drum, all of their body is moving. They're just like, everything they have to. I get that. They have to move their whole bodies. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't be very... Well, actually, they don't. I've seen some drummers who sit there like this. But I, the really good drummers are the drummers that really, their whole bodies are moving. That's how we should... We're set free, right? When we're in church, we should be moving. We're so British. Uh, and I was like, Joel's going for it. I love that. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. <laughs> serving... Well, he was serving extravagantly, right? With the gift that God had for him. He wasn't just like, oh, God, I'm here to die. I had to get up. I had to be here at 8 a.m. in the morning. I don't want a beer. Hmm. I wonder when I can have my lunch, you know. <laughs> you can tell. Trust me. You can tell if that's what people are thinking. But he was serving extravagantly with his whole being. He was worshiping God. I love that. To obey God from our hearts and to serve others from a place of love, that is freedom. That is freedom. It is not a burden. We are set free to live this way. Yet, yet, don't we know in our lives that we often struggle to live this way? We struggle to love God. We struggle to serve and love those in the household of faith and those outside of it. We struggle. And there's loads of barriers that get in the way. We've already touched on some, of course, in this series, fear. Sometimes we might fear getting outside of our depth. We fear that God is calling us into something we're not equipped for, which is not true, but we fear that. We fear that we might mess up. We fear all this stuff. And that keeps us back from extravagantly serving. Listen to Josh's sermon because he was talking about how fear restricts our movement. You know, fear restricts our service. It could be shame. Sometimes we may feel so ashamed. We think we're not worthy to be used in service by God. Again, listen to Gareth's sermon. Like Lazarus, we've got to shed our grave clothes, right? Of shame in order to be set free to serve. But we've already looked at those barriers. And when I was praying, there were so many others that I could have focused on. But there's two massive barriers that I think are in our life that prevent us from being able to truly serve extravagantly. They're related to each other, but they are distinct. The first one is pride. And the second one is selfishness. And this is not going to be a popular sermon here today. I can already see, like, you're like, oh, rubbish. 
Because, you know, we talk about fear and shame and we're like, yes, thank you, Jesus. You have set us free from fear and shame. And like, we can recognize those areas. But pride and selfishness, they're sin. Bottom line, they're sin. But we need to be set free from this sin in order to be able to serve extravagantly. So please don't switch off now. Please, because God has got some stuff to say to us today, right? So barrier number one to us serving extravagantly is pride. Pride. Now, I'm not talking about that positive sense of pride. You know, it's good. God has gifted us with things. We are good at things, right? We are. And when someone tells you, well done, you did a great job, don't go, no, no, it wasn't me. It was all Jesus. You know, it was all Jesus. And I, I had to learn the hard way. Somebody said to me once, Claire, can you stop doing that? I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to pay you a compliment. I'm trying to build you up in the faith, right? So we can have a positive sense of pride. That's good. But I'm talking about the negative sense of pride. The pride that Proverbs 3 verse 34 says, God opposes. He opposes the proud. And this pride, it brings destruction. It hardens our hearts. It makes quarrels happen. It deceives. It brings disgrace. The Bible says all of that, by the way. In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the most common word used for pride is gaon, G-A-O-N, if you like to write these things down. It means arrogance, cynical insensitivity to the needs of others. Isn't that interesting? When we're thinking about service and presumption. In the Greek, it also means arrogant and haughty. And I believe that one of the main weapons in the church today that the Satan is using is actually pride. And it may not look like, oh, I'm better than you. It looks like judgmental attitudes. It looks like insensitivity to the needs of those around us. It's that arrogance that says, you know what? I know better than you. It's that arrogance that actually puts us on the throne that is rightly God's. Clearly, there is going to be a barrier to extravagant service. Pride might manifest itself in thoughts such as, they actually don't deserve that help. They've made their own bed, so they can just lie in it now. If they would only do this and that, then God would set them free. Very subtle. But these judgmental attitudes come in through the sin of pride, and ultimately it hinders grace. It stops us being compelled by the love of God and it hardens us to the needs of others. And this is not just the needs of those out there, although it is about those out there. It's also the needs of our brothers and sisters within the household of faith. I've seen it. I've seen pride tear brothers and sisters down. I've seen it. And it devastates me. I'm like, people should be able to come into the house of God and have the best welcome and the best love that they have ever, ever, ever experienced. Ever. Yet why do people get driven out of our churches just because they don't look like us? Just because they're carrying some weight of shame? Just because they're sinning over here in an area we've never sinned in, yet we're sinning over here? We're hiding it behind a closed door just because they're obvious. <laughs> come on. Make no mistake, our job in life as Christ followers is to serve and it is to love, even our enemies according to Jesus. God's job alone, it only belongs to him, is to judge and convict. Not ours, it's his. And it's when we get these jobs mixed up that our, we are in danger of falling into this sin of pride. 
In the Bible, the Pharisees, aren't they the prime example of this? The Pharisees were just ordinary people actually committed to radically to the truth of God's law. The religious establishment at the time of Jesus had become very liberal. They were saying stuff like the spiritual world didn't exist, resurrection didn't exist. And the Pharisees were like, we don't like that. They gave God's word a very high place and they committed to living a pure life. They wanted to serve God's kingdom. They wanted to see sin go and they were waiting for the Messiah to come. We don't often hear them described like that, do we? We often boo at them like they're like villains in a pantomime, right? When we hear that description of them, there's stuff in them that we're like, actually, I can relate to that. That is some of my hope and desires. Yet, the Pharisees missed the Messiah, the one they were waiting for. They missed Jesus. How did they manage that? With their emphasis on God's truth, how did they manage that? It's because they understood truth but didn't understand grace. And they'd fallen into pride. They appointed themselves as the guardians of the religious laws and they used them as a weapon to boost themselves. They wielded the truth like a sword without any heart of love and service. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 says, Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And that is what was happening to the Pharisees. They had loads of knowledge and they were puffed up in pride, but they did not operate out of a heart of love and service. The warning here for us is we have the ability to be like them. The Pharisees thought God's primary priority was that people's behavior should be right. However, Jesus came to show us that people needed to understand God's love for them. And when they were transformed and set free by God's love, then they would behave right. It happens that way. The Pharisees thought keeping the laws would save them, even though that was impossible. Jesus came to show them that however many laws they kept, however many good deeds they did, they were still lost in their sin and were in need of grace. But the problem was then when the Pharisees looked at Jesus who modeled this grace and who modeled this love, they didn't see the Messiah. They saw a threat that needed to be eradicated. They looked at him through the eyes of pride. They had put themselves in his position. They were unable to reach out in love and service. Instead, they were caught in judgmentalism. They were caught in a heart that said, I know better than you. They were caught in, you don't deserve God's love. John 8, verses 3 to 11, that is a wonderful example of the Pharisees' pride rubbing up against uh, Jesus' grace. And I'm just going to read these verses, 3 to 11. I'm going to read a few, then stop. So I'm going to start from verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst. They said to Jesus, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? The reality was the Pharisees were absolutely right. Because in Leviticus chapter 20, the woman was absolutely wrong. The law said those caught in adultery were to be put to death. Now, it was the man and the woman, according to the law. And notice how it was only the woman here. Where was the man? He was getting away with it somewhere. <laughs> but it was supposed to be the man and the woman. But the Pharisees were 100% right. According to the law, that woman should have been put to death. Let's carry on reading. 
This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who was without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus challenges them. He doesn't actually directly answer the question, does he? I love that about Jesus. He just turns it around and he puts another challenge out there. And he helps the proud Pharisees to realize that they are just like this woman. That the law is impossible to keep perfectly. And not one of them had done so. He confronts their pride by challenging them to examine their own lives rather than the life of another. Because that's where we get in difficulty. When we examine, our, uh, examine other people's lives and we don't examine our own, right? Verse 10 to 11, Jesus stood up and said to the woman, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. A criticism can actually be leveled against these sort of sermons about grace and service and stuff because they're like, well, what about truth? Surely grace doesn't outweigh truth. It doesn't. Absolutely. Amen to that. It is both and, right? It is not either or. But I believe that people cannot receive the truth unless we extend an arm of love and service to them. They can't receive it. Jesus, who is truth, doesn't condemn her. Remember, Jesus is truth. He is truth embodied. And if he doesn't condemn, then why should we? What right have we got to? He does say to her, go and sin no more. Out of a heart of love, out of saying, you know, I don't condemn you. This is what grace is. Now go and sin no more. I don't know about you, but I thank God that I didn't have to prove my worth to him. I thank God that he didn't say about me, well, she got herself in that mess. She can get herself out of it. I thank God that he doesn't just give me one chance and then he strikes me off his list. I thank God that he came as a suffering servant. Yet how often in our dealings with others do we allow our pride, our judgmental attitudes, our insensitivity, and whether we admit it or not, our feelings of superiority to control how and who and when we serve. We make sliding scales of who I will help and who I will not help. We feel that somehow people should prove themselves because they, it's their fault they're in that mess anyway. We say, oh, we're not going to serve them because they've had 10 chances and now they've run out of chances. I love this quote from Steve Goss, who's instrumental in the grace course. He says, instead of coming to others with grace, we put up barriers of truth that they have to jump. And that is the problem of pride. Arrogance, judgmental attitudes, insensitivity to others that prevent us from extravagant service of God and of others. And yet, and yet, Jesus died while we were still sinners. While we were lost, while we were his enemies. He came in love and in service to a fallen world. So what then is our excuse to not serve others? I get it's hard. I know it's hard. I'm not being funny. I'm working with the homeless at St. Petrox. It's hard. Some days it's absolutely infuriating. It is. And I've been tested on this word so much this week. 
You know, on Friday, I had a gentleman, and he'd fallen asleep in the chair, fine. He'd plugged his phone into charge, and someone nicked his phone while it was on charge. Now, that is awful. That should not happen. People should not be stealing from each other. But instead of getting angry at the person who stole it, he got angry at me. Why weren't you watching my phone? You effing... Like this at me, and I'm like, whoa, it's your phone. You went to sleep. It's like, well, get it on the CCTV. I haven't got, so we haven't got CCTV, sir. We haven't got it that covers this area. So I can't check inside. I'm going, how dare you? How dare you? I'm helping you. I've served you. I've given you tea and coffee. I've given you clean pants today. I've, you know, I've touched your hands even though you're caked in dirt. Like, seriously. And inside I'm thinking, how dare you speak to me like that? And then I caught myself. And yeah, okay, no, it's not right. He shouldn't speak to me like that, but that's not the point. The reality is I've spoken to Jesus like that, and he still loves me anyway. And so I caught myself, and I'm like, oh, Claire, you know, yes, he may not deserve it, but neither did you. Keep serving him. Keep loving him. Keep serving him. Keep loving him. In order to live a life of extravagant service, we've got to be free from our pride. So how can we experience freedom from pride? (coughs) We experience pride by staying close. By, not experience pride. Experience freedom from pride. That's what it's about, right? We don't want pride. Sorry. We don't want pride. We experience freedom from pride by staying close to the God of grace. There's no magic to this, right? 1 Peter 5 verse 10 calls God the God of all grace. I love that. The God of all grace. And when we maintain an intimate relationship with that God, free prayer and Bible reading and fellowship and service, we are able to live from a place of grace. 1 John 4 verse 19 says that we love because he first loved us. John 13 verse 34 to 35 says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Unless we have that intimate relationship of God, with God ourselves, unless we experience the love and grace of God ourselves, we will struggle to love and to serve others. And when we drift from that intimate relationship with the God of all grace, it's so easy for us to fall into pride because we forget who he is and we forget what he has done in our lives. And you might think, oh, it will never happen to me. I won't drift from an intimate relationship with God. That's not going to happen. But think about the warning to the church in Revelation. I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. That is a warning we need to consider. (coughs) We fall into pride when we forget our own need of the grace of God. Matthew 7, verse 1 to 5 says, Judge not, lest you be judged. You know, take out the log in your own before you look at the speck in somebody else's eye. Focus on your own logs. Check your own heart. Get before the God of all grace. When we stay close to him and remember and experience his grace, we find that freedom from pride. We don't always have to be right. We become free to lower ourselves. We become free to love and serve others because we are secure in his grace and in his love. We don't have to compare or compete or criticize anymore. I love what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. 
Let's remember that, shall we? That all that we have, that all that we are, is because of the grace of God. If we live gratefully with that realization, pride has no foothold in our lives. That's the first barrier. The second one's quicker. Don't panic. I'm not going to be going until like 1 p.m. today. It's okay. This one's quicker. Barrier number two is selfishness. The Greek word for selfish in the New Testament means desire to put oneself forward. I can't say it. I can spell it for you if you'd like to write it down. E-R-I-T-H-E-I-A. I'm, I'm terrible with the ancient languages. But it means a desire to put oneself forward. It means you're devoted to and care only for oneself. And clearly, if we live that way, we cannot serve extravagantly. And again, it might not be as obvious in our lives as I care only for myself. It might not look like that. We might, though, when a service opportunity comes up, think, someone else will do that. We might think, mm, I don't have a lot of time or money right now. We might think, I'm not paid to be here, but other people are. We might think, mm, I will serve if I get noticed, if Aaron's going to be there, if I get promoted to another position. <coughs> we might even say, and this is the one we hear all the time because it's holy, that isn't really my gifting. <coughs> right? That isn't really my gifting. <sighs> All of these are thoughts of selfishness. I know it's uncomfortable. Sorry, everyone. But you know, when I was young in ministry, when I started that ministry when I was 22, and you know you're 22 years old and I thought I knew everything. I was like, here I am, world. I'm going to take on the church of God. It's going to be transformed. Here I am. Here I am. And... Uh, I soon realized, probably within like the first week, I was like crying in the corner, like rocking, oh, what am I doing, you know? <laughs> but when I was young in ministry, I thought very much that I needed to compete to be noticed. I had that thing in my life that I was like, you know, it was self, it was self. Myself, I wanted to be in a senior position. I wanted everyone to compete with men. Because as a woman, I didn't have hardly any, well, I, I still don't have very many female examples of what it means to pastor, particularly single ones. And so I looked at the men, and I was like, okay, I've got to be like these men. Right, okay, I'm going to be like these men. So for a long time, honestly now, this is me just being honest, because you know what, we all walk this journey, right? And we've all had this struggle. For a long time, I wouldn't dress like a woman. I'd hide myself under big baggy kind of clothes and stuff. I didn't wear any makeup. I didn't really care about what my hair was doing. I don't say, I'm not saying that to be a woman you've got to wear makeup. And I'm not saying you can't dress in big bag. It doesn't matter what. But for me, I was doing that because I was trying to hide my femininity. I was trying to look like a man because I needed to be like the men. I'd go to AOG things and I'd be the only woman in the room. And sometimes the, the men were great, and sometimes they weren't so great. And they'd be like, I can remember being in this room, not anyone from Riverside. It wasn't anyone from Riverside. Another pastor turned to me and said, are you the children's minister? No. Are you, oh, you're the PA then of the senior leader? I said, well, no, I'm, I'm a pastor. And no word of a lie, he turned like this away from me because he didn't know what to say to me. 
I can remember going to AOG training. I'd be the only woman again in the room. I can remember once I was there. Gareth might have even been there. They were all talking about rugby. And that's great. I love that. Like, I don't care what they're talking about. It's, it doesn't matter to me. I was quite happy sitting there listening to them talking about rugby. Because it's not about whether we're a man or a woman, whether we like rugby, right? But suddenly someone turned and said, oh, Claire's here. We should change the conversation. And so for a long time, I thought, right, I've got to compete to be noticed. You know, I'm going to have to be like the men. I'm going to dress in check shirts and pointy shoes. I'm going to, you know, because that is the AOG pastor's uniform, check shirts and pointy shoes. But you know what? I was getting nowhere with that. God wasn't blessing my ministry. Well, funny that, because I was trying to promote myself. You know, we were struggling along, struggling along. I was standing up every Sunday and I was preaching a word. And, you know, I was, I was trying my best probably, but it wasn't good enough. It wasn't anointed. Because I was trying to promote myself, I was up there to be noticed. And I went through a massive period of time where God had to humble me. And he put me, do you know where he put me? He put me in the cafe at the church I was working at at the time. In the kitchen of all places. And I worked in, I was supposed to only be carrying, covering maternity leave for the cafe manager, which was like, I don't know, six months, whatever. I ended up being there two and a half years. It took me two and a half years to learn that lesson. Please don't do the same as me. You know, at six months in, I'm like, right, I'm done now, I'm done. I can go back out on the floor. Yep, great. I can start preaching. I can start being in public ministry. And he's like, no, not yet. And so it took me two and a half years of frying smelly eggs and nasty cheap sausages and serving the broken people that came into that church and serving under the ministry of another before I was humble enough, <laughs> before I was in a position where he was like, okay, okay, right, now, now's your time, Claire. Now's your time. Of course, please hear me. When we talk about selfishness, we do have limits on our times and our finances. Of course we do. I'm not stupid. We do have to prioritize. We do have gifts. God gives us amazing gifts in our lives, but our default position should always be, if I can help, then I will. If I can be generous in that need, I will be. How can I serve that person? Not to be noticed, but just because that's the right thing according to the word of God to do. Our first thought should always be God, and it should always be others and not ourselves. Our prayer should be, he must increase, and we must decrease. You know, a powerful example of what selfishness looks like is in the life of Cain. I'm not going to read it now, but you can find Cain in Genesis chapter 4. Cain had no concern for anyone in his life other than himself. Most of us are familiar with that story. You know, Cain offered his sacrifice like his brother Abel to God. And God rejected the sacrifice of Cain. And he accepted the sacrifice of Abel, his brother. And Cain was so jealous of his brother, he had no regard for anyone but himself. Rather than just going away and bringing an acceptable sacrifice, he decides to kill his brother. And we fight, think, wow, that's pretty extreme, right? I'm not going to go killing anyone because I care about myself. But when we put ourselves first, it leads us to extreme action sometimes. God afterwards says to Cain, where is your brother? Where is your brother? And Cain says these words in Genesis 4 verse 9, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? And that is a selfish response. It's a response that says, well, I don't know. 
But he does know. He's lying too. <laughs> but he's like, I don't know. I don't really care where he is, what he's doing. All of us have to realize that we are our brother's and our sister's keeper. We are to look out for the interests of others and to esteem others higher than ourselves. That's what Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4 says. We should have the mind in us that is like Christ Jesus that humbled himself. (coughs) So how can we experience freedom from selfishness? We experience freedom from selfishness by living for a cause greater than ourselves. That cause is the cause of Christ, right? I believe it's very hard to follow Jesus and remain selfish. We can, because I did it. But I wasn't truly following him. When we fix our eyes on Jesus and the way he commands us to live, it lifts us from being concerned with ourself, self-preservation, self-promotion, and we get filled with his love and his grace and his purpose. When we live for the kingdom cause, we realize that to be selfish is not an option. As we serve God and as we serve others, this breaks that power of selfishness in our lives. Shocking news, church, it isn't about us. It isn't. Sure, Jesus died for us, but we're now saved. We are now set free. We now exist for those who don't yet know. We are there to lift our brother and sister in time of need. It isn't about us. We sing that song, don't we? We're laying down our rights. We're giving up our pride for the promise of you now. If I surrender, we sing it. But are we truly living it? If we want to live free from selfishness, if we feel in bondage to our selfish attitudes or actions today, if we're caught in unhealthy habits of self-promotion and self-protection, please hear me. God wants you to be free from that. And the way that we can do that is to serve his kingdom cause. Look for opportunities to serve. Serve in the quiet places that no one else can see other than God. You might not feel like it, but just go and do it. And as you go and do it, watch the power of selfishness go in your life. Believe me, there's loads of needs that you can serve in this church. You only have to come and speak to me, to Aaron, to Rachel, to Gareth, to Hannah. We can tell you. We can tell you where there will be a need that you can serve. Determine to wake up every day and say, God, you are first. I'm going to serve others before me. I'm going to live a life of humility. Make that choice because it is a choice, you know. Some days I get up to go to work at St. Petrol's. I'm like, I do not want to go today because I know I'm probably going to be spat up. I might find someone taking drugs in the toilet. I might, whatever. I've had it all this week. We've, I did. I had to evict someone because they were taking drugs in the toilet. I had someone nearly die on me the other day because they took a drug overdose. Like, I don't want to go into that. And yet... I make up every day and I make that choice. God, I am going to serve you and I am going to serve other people. When we are humble, you see, it doesn't mean that we're a doormat. It doesn't mean that we are weak. Sometimes people confuse those things. To be humble is when we are secure in who we are in God so that we can consider others higher than ourselves. You know, the first verses I started with, which probably feels like forever ago to you, in Matthew 22, says we have to love others as we love ourselves. We have to love ourselves in order to be able to love others. Humility is confidence properly placed in Christ. Yes? And our position in Christ right now is seated at God's right hand. That is some position, isn't it? James 4 verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So humility is understanding who we are in God 
And when we understand who we are in God, when we are serving his kingdom cause, we are set free from self, from selfishness. We find that freedom to serve God and others extravagantly. So I'm concluding now, you'll be pleased to know. We are free to serve God and we are free to serve God, those others around us. We are free to do that. And we know from this series that we are called to carry that freedom to a broken world. But we can only serve extravagantly and carry freedom when we are set free from barriers such as pride and selfishness. It is not easy. But there are people relying on you to break down those barriers so they can see Christ in you and experience his love. You actually might be the only Bible that some people ever read. Did you think about that? You might be it. Perhaps today you felt challenged by something I have said, but don't allow your defenses to go up now. Because pride and self love to make us defensive. I'm right. Who does Claire think that she is? How, how dare she imply I've got a problem with pride in my life? Don't do that. Stop it. If you're thinking that now, stop it. Allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in your life. We need to repent of pride and of selfishness so that we are able to live free in the life of service that he has called us to. Perhaps you know that you need to just examine your heart today. You've been examining others, but you've not been examining yourself. You need to check your own motives and attitudes for service. Or perhaps today you just want to say to God again, God, keep me from pride and selfishness. I pray that every day now. God, keep me from pride and keep me from selfishness. Perhaps you want to say, God, show me what I can do to serve extravagantly. How can I serve you more? I'm just going to um, ask the tech team to play. I've got a song video. The song is called World Needs Jesus. It's actually coming out of the church that I'm hoping to emigrate to. And as we listen to this song, I just want us to reflect and to examine and to respond, yeah? Sometimes we're so, like, we rush out of here, right? Let's have a cup of tea. Let's have some chicken and rice. Let's go to Exmouth. Let's, ah, you know? But let's just take this time to reflect and examine our own hearts. Some of the lyrics of this song say, we know our world needs Jesus. We know that our world needs freedom. So give us eyes to see the hurting and the broken and let our lives align with every word you say. Because I know that I need you, Jesus. And I know this heart needs healing. So from my knees, I lift this prayer to you, my Savior. For my life and for the world, you are the answer. So God, we make this our prayer today. Let our lives align with the word we have heard today. Remove any barriers of pride or selfishness keeping us from a life of service. May we experience your freedom, God, in this place, so that your world may know your freedom.